Acts 22, beginning in verse 22 and going through 23 and verse 10. These are God's words. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman, because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear, and brought brought Paul down and set him before them. And Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest and Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry. The scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. So far... The reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. There are many differences between an earthly ruler or commander or centurion and the king of heaven. And one of those great differences is that the king of heaven is never frustrated. And he rules and overrules even through uh, everything that everyone does. There are many people who are frustrated and angry and trying to get their way and failing in this passage. Uh, but even the commander, whose will, from a human perspective, uh, is controlling these things, remember the, the whole thing so far, even going into previous week's passages, uh, has been the commander trying to figure out why the Jews were so upset 
but he doesn't get an answer. Um, in fact, every time, uh, you know, whether it's letting Paul uh, address the crowd uh, or whether bringing Paul and putting him before the council, before the Sanhedrin, the uh, only thing he seems to get is new and very intense chaos. And yet the point of all of this is actually found uh, in verse 11. We're dividing up a passage that is probably several chapters long in its basic theme that God is taking Paul to Rome uh, so that his gospel will go to the ends of the earth. You know, that's the that's the overall outline structure theme of the book of Acts. The Lord taking his uh, gospel from uh, Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and uh, to the ends of the earth. Uh, and you see in verse 11, next week, the Lord Jesus stands by him and says, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. This is something that Paul knew, that Jesus is ruling and overruling all things to not only glorify himself, Christ, and not only for Paul's good as one who belongs to Christ, but also for Paul's service. That the service to which Paul is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles, the Lord Jesus would do everything that is necessary, ruling and overruling so many different things uh, in order for Paul to be able to finish the course that the Lord has marked out for him in this world. And this is a great comfort for every one of us. That there's a course of service unto God. There's a course of service unto Christ that he has marked out for each of us in this world. And that God is ruling and overruling everything that they do and even using what we do, as we'll see in this passage. Uh, not only for his glory and for our good, but also to bring us into and carry us through that service unto him that he has appointed for us as his people. So what sorts of things uh, does the Lord use, uh, is the Lord using in this passage as he is bringing Paul uh, to Rome to witness uh, for himself? What is the Lord Jesus using? Uh, first thing we see him using is the rage of his enemies. Uh, we've seen that uh, a few times throughout the book, but uh, in this uh, particular case, they get so angry when he says that not only is their unbelief something that is under Jesus' control, but the Gentiles' belief is something that's going to be un under Jesus' control, that he is going to send Paul to the Gentiles, where the Lord Jesus will give repentance and faith uh, through his ministry, uh, telling him to get out of Jerusalem because he's not giving them repentance and faith. And so they become so enraged uh, and they don't just say away with him. They embellish the complete set statement. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. And they start tearing their clothes. Uh, and uh, here, uh, they uh, uh, not just tearing, but tearing pieces of their clothes to throw at him. Uh, they're tearing and throwing. Uh, and that's quite the show of uh, of rage and hatred. Uh, and yet, 
this was one of the things that uh, the Lord used in the course of the events uh, to bring him to the place that he was. Uh, and verse 11, basically the, the verse right after our passage, the Lord Jesus appears to Paul and says, even through all of this, everything is all right on schedule. It is just, it is working uh, as intended. And so we should not be intimidated when the Lord's enemies and ours get themselves worked into uh, a rage against us. Whether the Jewish mob here, or you remember Haman's rage and hatred uh, for the Jews, and how uh, the Lord actually used him to uh, exalt Mordecai and to eliminate not just Haman, but other enemies of the Jews and so forth. Those who hate the Lord and his people uh, are not just bringing guilt on themselves, uh, but they're also being used to do us good and facilitate our service unto Christ. So he uses a rage of enemies. Uh, he uses authorities of all sorts. You know, sometimes authorities are unjust. The commander does not seem to have been uh, hostile to Paul. <laughs> But he certainly was more interested in getting his job done than he was in Paul's rights. He was uh, trying to figure out uh, if Paul had committed a crime, but he was already doing things to him that uh, would not be appropriate for a Roman who's uncondemned. He knew that Paul was from Cilicia. He didn't check into his legal status. But so often there are authorities that just aren't doing right by us. They're unjust. There are also authorities that are conscientious. The centurion, for instance, when Paul takes advantage of his opportunity and he sees the centurion there and he asks him, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and then condemned? So you have this combination of unjust authority and sometimes the Lord uses conscientious authority. The centurion didn't have to be a man who followed the rules. In this case, uh, the Lord uses that. Uh, when it comes time to send him to Felix, uh, he conveniently uh, leaves out the part that he had bound Paul. And so you have, uh, you have authorities of all different sorts. We do want authorities to honor Christ, and we want to warn them that they will stand before Christ and answer for how they have conducted themselves. We're all tempted to put too much stock into how the authorities are conducting themselves uh, and not enough in what the Lord is doing by means of the authorities. And so we would do well here to notice that even through all the different types of responses of authorities, even unjust and wicked authority uh, like Ananias who commands him to be struck. Through all of that the Lord is bringing Paul to his service uh, in Rome. Another thing that we see the Lord uses is the location and time and nationality uh, of Paul's birth. Uh, he's uh, born in Cilicia. He's born at the time that brings him to be uh, where he is now, he's got this uh, Roman citizenship that is 
that is from his birth uh, long before this day, before even Paul was born, the Lord was arranging for his transport to Rome for the sake of the gospel. He was arranging that he would that Paul would be uh, Jesus's witness in Rome, uh, as he has been at Jerusalem. And there's even implication in that verse eleven uh, from next week's portion that these trials and testimonies before mobs and so forth is uh, kind of a new. Uh, phase in Paul's ministry, that this is going to be one of the primary ways that he testifies as someone who is a prisoner, because this is how he's testified at Jerusalem. He wasn't permitted to testify at Jerusalem before when he had first gotten converted, but now he's gotten to testify for Christ at Jerusalem as a result of being bound and arrested, uh, and he is going to get to testify to Christ that way in Rome as well. Some people think that uh, their, uh, the time and place and nationality uh, of their birth has been a curse. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a temptation if we live in um, or are from a poor nation or, or a particularly wicked uh, and unjust nation. But if we're a believer, we know that all of those things were appointed in order to bring us to faith. And if we're a believer, we know that all of those things were appointed particularly for the, for the particular service which our Redeemer has called to uh, for himself. It's also true that others are proud of and grateful for, rightly so, uh, the time and place and nationality of their birth. But let us remember, if we are, uh, at, if we have been given uh, such advantages like we have, like we have been given, that these advantages have been given to us not just for our earthly comfort for a few decades on this planet, but these things have been given to us first that we might be brought to know Christ, uh, but then now uh, and uh, for our consideration as we uh, continue to live before him, uh, that these things were given uh, as the the way by which we would be brought into the service that he has for us. And so whatever nationalism we have, uh, we ought to have gratitude towards Christ for it and employ uh, whatever rights we have in the service of Christ, uh, which, is, uh, which is what Paul does here. He makes use of uh, his Roman uh, citizenship. Another thing that we see the Lord ruling and overruling uh, in order to uh, give his uh, servant good testimony and service is his living with a good conscience. He is able to, to give good testimony that he has lived in all good conscience before God until this day in verse 1. And then even when he doesn't realize that the one who has commanded him to be struck was the high priest. Uh, he basically admits in verse 5, or confesses in verse 5, that that was wrong to do. And he quotes from the Bible the reason uh, that it was wrong for him uh, to speak that way to a, a ruler of the people. And he might have made much legitimate argument uh, against 
whether Ananias is proper, properly in the office of high priest and so forth. But he is living carefully, conscientiously, according to God's word, so that when he is attacked, that before the face of God, it reflects uh, it reflects against his attacker uh, and not against him. And sometimes this is even true before uh, before the eyes of men. And uh, the Lord uh, teaches us about that in 1 Peter 2, verse 12 through 17, and 1 Peter 3, verse 13 through 17, urging upon all believers what is the case for Paul here, that we should conduct ourselves righteously and uprightly, uh, that we should be the best citizens uh, there are, that when we suffer persecution or injustice, uh, that we would do so for having done what is good and not having done uh, what is evil. Uh, and so we have an opportunity then, don't we, to participate in the Lord ruling and overruling all things as we make display of what it looks like when Jesus saves someone. And he makes us holy in our uh, walking before God and holy and righteous in our interaction with others. And then he works all things together, not only for the good of our knowing him, but also for our good and serving him, because that's good for us too, that, uh, that we would serve him. Uh, then he is much glorified and magnified. Uh, both in how the providence works out in this life and in the vengeance and justice uh, that he gives at the end. And the last thing that we see the Lord using here uh, is the errors of the Sadducees and even the common grace. And we say it that way because uh, they do not seem uh, for the uh, greater part to have been converted, uh, the Pharisees. Paul uh, changes his tactic uh, after uh, after he realizes that uh, he's not actually going to be examined according to whether his conduct has been righteous by the law of God. He, he sees that one part are Sadducees and the other part are Pharisees, and he tells the truth. He's on. Uh, he is being judged because he has hope in the resurrected Lord Jesus. That the one who who addressed him from the sky was the one who was from Nazareth and had died on the cross. His uh, shouting this out and really driving home that this hope of the resurrection was not something new when he came to know Jesus Christ. What was new is that Jesus is the hope of the resurrection. Uh, but he uh, he says, "I was on the Pharisee, a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee." He drives home that uh, this is uh, a point of difference between them, and he does seem to expect, I think, uh, that there will be a contention between them. Uh, not sure if he expects that the Pharisees are going to quote his master, Gamaliel. Uh, remember, he testified in the previous chapter that uh, he was uh, brought up, uh, and Gamaliel was the one who, all the way back in chapter 5, verses 34 through 39, uh, had warned them when they were, when the church was first starting to grow, uh, that if this was not of God, that it would fail, but that it was of God, they would find themselves fighting against God. Uh, and so this wisdom obviously was, uh, something that the, the Pharisees had maintained, uh, 
Uh, because not only do they decide that Paul should be acquitted in verse 9, but they even uh, use that language. If a spirit or uh, an angel has spoken to him, uh, they say, let us not fight against God. Uh, now, Paul would have wanted the Sadducees to not be in error. And uh, even the Pharisees uh, here exercising common grace wisdom, not recognizing that Jesus is the God man, but at least uh, exercising the common grace wisdom to say that uh, the a similar thing that Gamaliel had said in chapter 5, uh, Paul would have wanted for the Pharisees to be converted as well. He loved his nation, uh, and he loved them with a love that desired that they would be saved. You remember in Romans 9, saying he wished that he could even be accursed. He could be cut off for their sake. If he could trade his own salvation uh, for the ingathering, the spiritual ingathering of the Jews to Christ, uh, he would do so. And so it's not that he takes any pleasure in the Sadducees' error or the fact that even the Pharisees' wisdom is sub-Christian. But surely you can see how uh, leaving unto God the freedom, because it belongs to him, him he will save. Uh, we can yet see uh, some of the wisdom and uh, some of uh, his good purposes. Uh, in this case, using this situation with the Sadducees and Pharisees to take Paul to Rome, where he's going to preach the gospel and where people are going to respond and be converted. And then we also don't know who might have been uh, eventually converted from this day. But uh, that's one of the hardest things, I think, in the Christian life, is loving people, wanting them to be saved, having to uh, submit ourselves to the good pleasure of a God who uh, shows himself uh, incomprehensibly merciful with every single one whom he brings to repentance uh, and faith submit ourselves to his will but we also understand that the history of what he does even among and through those who are not believing or who are in theological error uh, it's aimed especially at those whom he is bringing to faith that he was through all of this bringing his apostle his servant to rome where he was going to uh, be his witness there and so let us learn from all of this to trust God with his providence and his purposes in it, to look at you know, several things in this passage that are specific things that we entrust to God and have confidence that he is using, not only for his glory and our good, but also very specifically to bring us into the specific opportunities that he has assigned for us in which to serve him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would Help us to make the connections and draw the correct conclusions about our own life. That we would know that whatever and whoever is against us and however our authorities are conducting themselves and even when our desires for others to be saved or to be sound uh, are not fulfilled, that in all of this you are continuing to give us opportunity to walk with a clear conscience before you opportunity to serve you both now and in that future service into which you are surely steadily bringing us according to your will. So help us by your spirit, we pray, to respond well to your providence and grant that we would serve Christ whatever comes. And we ask it in his name. Amen.